So, um, up to this point of the retreat, um, we've offered a set of teachings that take us from meeting dukkha uh, to having new perspectives or new relationships with dukkha and seeing and knowing maybe the arriving arising of the dukkha and passing away. And also begin to know that there is a way that allow this to happen. And Gil spoke about the Noble Eightfold Path. And this is a path that we walk and that allow us to begin to tuning and then see the arising and passing of the dukkha. So we've been calling what be, uh, we have been teaching on this retreat uh, a journey. And it's a practice journey. And it's a journey that also unfolds as we practice. And this is a journey that has effect uh, on our body and mind and heart. And so today, I wanted to offer a summary uh, review of this journey. And this review is using a metaphor, a metaphor of a mountain hike. Kind of like, you know, we're on a journey of a hike. You know, going up on the mountain and uh, leaving behind on Maybe the busyness, uh, busyness of the work and uh, things that um, outside. And, and then at this juncture, juncture, we're also entering into a returning. And you can see this metaphor might work for the arc of the retreat. It could also be something of the arc of a sitting. You know, we enter into a sitting. And uh, there are uh, different faces that unfolds in a sitting. And there is a returning from the sitting to something else. And could be also, you know, arc of the day. So however this might be taken, um, that the teachings that we offered um, on this retreat might in some way fit into this metaphor. And uh, this journey, um, discovering the mountain path, begins by meeting dukkha. And some may come to uh, this hike um, because of profound kind of dukkha, kind of a dukkha that may even be felt like being backed into a corner that don't know a way out. But somehow, as someone pointed to, you know, there is this path that leads to uh, something new that, you know, may be possible, a possibility for you. And I'm reminded of the story of a Patichara. Some of, you, some of you may have been doing your walking meditation in the walking hall. And there is a statue here, and a female disciple of the Buddha. And her name is Patichara. 
And there is、um, a story of、uh, Patichara's life and how she met Buddha Dharma. And for those who are online,、uh, you may notice that、uh, the manager's profile photo is the photo of this statue. So even if you're not seeing it, you're seeing the photo of a Patichara statue that we have here in the walking hall. And her story of loss and dukkha was profound. Within kind of a two-day span of time. She first lost her husband to a snake bite,、um, and then taking her newborn and a toddler, trying to cross over、uh, to go home to see、um, her family in the village across the river. She lost her both sons, the newborn and the toddler, while crossing the river. And、uh, in the midst of extreme despair, already at that point, she headed towards the village, village where her family lived, and only to find out、uh, that her house had been burned down and she lost all of her family. She just, she was mad, crazy. Even just as I'm speaking about this, telling the story, I feel the heartache. But she happened to see the Buddha. She happened to meet the Buddha, and the Buddha taught her the Dharma, and pointed the way, pointed a way that lead to awakening, freedom from dukkha. And she walked this path. Uh, diligently, sincerely, and eventually, she became an awakened individual, awakened being, and she's known as、uh, one of the foremost uh, uh, female disciples that also taught Dharma to others. And so, if you happen to walk in the walking hall next to the statue. Uh, may you be inspired and uplifted、uh, by her story. And there is also a modern-day version of、uh, this story, and that is the story of Deepama. Deepama was an Indian uh, lay uh, householder who、uh, lived in Burma for、um, many years, and、uh, she too lost two children. And lost her husband when she was a middle-aged woman. And then,、um, also in the despair,、uh, she went to visit、um, Buddhist meditation center in Burma. And there, she began the Dharma life, and Dharma path. And her Dharma life flourished, and she was known to be one of.、Um, uh, Lay householder teacher who taught a lot of householders,、um, wives,、um, working individuals, and she also have been、uh, has been the teacher 
of some of the most senior uh, Western Theravada teachers in our lineage, including Sharon Salzberg, Joseph Ghosting, and Jack Cornfield. So in a way that we are beneficiaries of her teaching in a maybe direct, indirect ways. So it's possible that one began this path maybe through meeting quite profound kind of a dukkha. And it's also possible that uh, one uh, meets, um, uh, come to this path through just mild discontentment. We're just bored with what we're doing. We're always doing the same thing. And someone pointed out, hey, maybe try something new. So maybe meditation and um, you know, try take this hike you know, and see climb up the mountain and see something new. And that's another possibility. And maybe, you know, a lot of things in between all of this. But no matter uh, which way and where we met the dukkha, that uh, led us to discover this path, and now here we are, and on this retreat, having uh, undertaking this journey. And so, at the beginning of uh, our walking this path, uh, when it's first discovered. And there may be a sense of renewal, a sense of freshness. And for some people, it might be very profound when you felt like there was absolutely no other way. This may, fa- may feel like a profound opportunity. And this is where um, the a sense of a trust and faith, confidence come in that there's something new, we're uplifted, uh, we feel like um, we want to give this a try, we're going to take a step at a time and see where this goes. And so as we begin this hike, um, one step at a time, one breath at a time, what also happens at the same time is that we're leaving behind uh, maybe, you know, the busyness of work, life, many other things that we can get preoccupied with. And as Gail was mentioning, this ritual of leaving behind and entering into the liminal space. And uh, we are here in this liminal space. And at the beginning, uh, it may feel like uh, we still have a lot of things that are preoccupying our mind. You know, the things uh, that we um, maybe buried away kind of pop up in our mind and we can get quite busy. But as we continue, kind of one breath at a time, one step at a time, as we alternating, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, chopping veggie, cleaning dishes, and just all this simplicity of life here, little by little, the preoccupations begin to fade. We may begin to tune in to the environment we're in, 
and we may begin to tune in to our own body and mind. We begin to immerse into the atmosphere that we have. And in this mountain hike, maybe we're tuning in to the forest, the switch and turns of the path. And there can be a kind of、um, bubbly joy coming up. I remember one time、uh, on the retreat in IRC, just walking down the trail around the whole peripheral. And I just felt this、um, surge of a delight, and almost felt like I was going to galloping like a five-year-old <laughs> down the path. And so it could just be with our steps and、um, and the forest and the air,、um, the rain, the raindrops. Today I've heard some of you、uh, reporting how happy, just feeling the rain on the face. And so that's the arising of a pamoja and pity and joy. And also here, I deliberately didn't kind of try to delineate what is pamoja, what is pity. I'm really kind of offering a field here. It doesn't have to be black and white, but you can feel some sense of a joy and delight as we engage in this path. And as we continue, and some of the initial excitement may settle, and maybe we can begin to tune in to maybe subtler elements that maybe otherwise that are ignored. For example, as we do a long hike, sometimes you may begin to notice not just the sound. But also the vast silence all around. Maybe not just the trees, but all the space in between. And so there can be a sense of a quieting, settling, stilling coming in. Now, as we continue to engage in this path, while a lot of distractions begin to fade away. And so that's the arising of a tranquility, and tranquility can lead to certain kind of contentment. Oh, just here is enough. Just this fresh air, just this rain, just this space. And that's in that、uh, real Khan's poem, from the beginning of the time. Just this, just this. So there can be that kind of a happiness coming in. Nothing more is needed. And、uh, as we continue, continue on this path, and the deeper sense of composure can sink in. Maybe in this mountain path、uh, metaphor. Come to a point that the whole sky, earth, mountain, and you, kind of completely coming together. You're just not disturbed by anything. Right there, and things feels clear. The sound all around feels clear, 
and your mind feels clear. And so there's a sense of uh, samadhi can come in. And then from there, a sense of a clarity also come in. And there's a sense of stealing, uh, stealing can be maybe even at the point you feel like you don't need to go anywhere anymore. Maybe you just come to a point where there's a big piece of a rock next to a clear lake. You just sit down. You don't need to go anywhere. You're just there, sitting on the rock next to the lake. Uh, In the sutta, there is this passage that describes this kind of a clear seeing. Um, um, It goes to something like this. It's also using a uh, mountain lake. Uh, as a, a simile right here. And so it says, Practitioners, it is like a lake in a mountain range, transparent, clear, and undisturbed. Standing on the shore, a person with eyes could see oysters, shells, stones, pebbles, and fish moving about and holding still. That person would think, this is a transparent, clear, and undisturbed lake. Here, there are oysters, shells, stones, pebbles, and fish moving about, and holding still. Practitioner, in the same way, a practitioner understands dukkha, as it is, the arising of a dukkha, as it is, the seizing of a dukkha, as it is, and the way that leads to the seizing of the dukkha, as it is. So sitting or standing by the clear mountain lake we can begin to see things clearly. And the truth of dukkha, the Four Noble Truth, the arising and passing of it. And so this is also where we may begin to realize often the strategies that we use to keep us okay may not be actually okay. The strategies of trying to get something, getting rid of something, achieve something, gaining something, push away something, they don't work. They really don't work. But it's when we get to uh, this clarity of a being, we begin to be able to see some of this kind of patterns. Can you imagine climbing, hiking this mountain as yet another achievement to have, or yet another escape from life? 
I, I bet you know you can imagine that probably will miss everything along the way because what arises comes as we walk. It's not where we get to. Uh, it's not another destination to get to. And so when we come with that mentality and the movements of uh, achieving, often is this a sense of something, um, whatever we have here is not enough, Right? And so when we have that kind of a mentality going around with um, um, uh, walking this path and doing this hike, uh, you may finish the hike, okay, you may rush down all the way, um, but maybe we'll just say, now what? So what? (laughs) Just another check mark to leave behind. And so I, know, I knew this um, very well for myself because uh, I know that uh, I used to think that if I had just tried harder, then I'll get ahead, ahead and then I'll be okay. Also, but when one thing kind of failed, I try harder next time. You know, there's still another, another dead end and I try yet another thing, even harder. You know, after a while, still yet another dead end. So it can keep us trapped uh, into kind of endless cycles. And sometimes, you know, our thinking mind uh, can feel like uh, they're pretty smart in coming up with new strategies. You know, let's just try this, try that. I haven't tried this. I haven't tried that. Let's try that one. Um, But what we don't realize when we don't see it carefully um, each new endeavor that we engage in is based on the same basic patterns of a wanting and not wanting. And when we don't see this, we're mostly spinning at the surface level. And we may think this is kind of brand new, but it's really the same strategy. So it's really worthwhile to slow down and quiet down to begin to allow these patterns, deep-rooted patterns to be seen. And so this path, this path is a path of quieting down and becoming still and clear. And I like this, um, like to share this few uh, lines in the poem from Mary Oliver. And it's a poem of, My work is loving the world. Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. So in a way, we're learning to be still and being all with what we see. Whether it's dukkha or sukha, they become clear. 
Wow, this moment I'm enjoying the sound of the rain, riding the backdrop. So at this juncture of the retreat, um, we did take some walks, hikes. We got to a point, not necessarily what we think is a destination, but we did come down. We saw something, maybe some new perspective that we did not know, did not see before. And it touched our heart and mind in... Um, in various ways. And many of you have shared that in your practice discussions. And some of us may not even be able to articulate just yet how our hearts and minds are touched. And so maybe it's just, um, you know, a sip of a high mountain stream, my high mountain water. And let it nourish us. Let it n- nourish our heart and mind. And the art of the retreat uh, for us right now is that now we're um, at the juncture of returning in some way. And kind of like standing on this mountain range and began to look at the villages that we came from, the towns we came from, and maybe some thoughts come about the life that we left behind for a while. And so it's very uh, natural in some way uh, that often at this juncture of the retreat, uh, the habitual forces um, might come back and be aware of this and notice that sometimes uh, the habit forces uh, would like to propel kind of like run back as quickly as we can you know let's plan the next thing next retreat but this one hasn't <laughs> finished yet <laughs> I've done plenty of that myself I confess and um, and maybe some preoccupations about you know um, your way back home and and uh, lots of emails to check and news to catch up on and and I didn't learn this until after sitting retreats my relationship with the emails you know the. Uh, it's not until I sat at retreats I realized when I, by the time I get back home, I can delete about 90% of my emails <laughs> without having to read them <laughs> at all. And, and most of them got just self-resolved without me kind of in the midst of tinkering with it. And, and you know, I used to think that I had to be in the midst of all of this, you know fixing this, fixing that. But after retreat, uh, checking email has taught me something. And first of all, I don't have to rush into trying to get all of them. And knowing that a lot of them just get resolved on on their own. 
Kind of like I think Kim one day mentioned, you don't have to solve the problem, they dissolve. Because a lot of this, whatever needs to be fixed or、uh, solved, they just got dissolved while I was away. And the other thing that's really cool is discovering that、um, I'm not as important as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a big relief. <laughs> really kind of, kind of freeing, you know.、Um, and so we're aware that this would come at this juncture of the retreat. And、um, I say, being very patient, kind, and, and gentle with this process. And the、um, analogy of this returning is it's best to return、uh, as if wa- we are walking downhill, like a stroll, or like a, a little、um, quiet, clear mountain stream flowing down. Not a big rapid, you know, flowing downhill. And、uh, we know what happens when the big rapid is flooding down, right? At the bottom, it begins to spin and spin into eddy, eddies. And so, let this whatever has been nourishing for you kind of gently flow, flowing, flowing down. And so, one、uh, recommendation I have.、Uh, Is to slow down the process, and maybe catching up when you're rushing, and we're feeling propelled, noticing, being aware. Oh, this is happening, and this is happening, and like that poison oak, and maybe you can put it down for now, <coughs> and are noticing this is coming, but. We don't have to pick it up. And here, you are—you have all touched something quiet and deep inside of you. No rush, no rush. And I also wanted to say that、um, this is also an important juncture. Uh, maybe a prime place for us to begin to observe and learn what is skillful and unskillful. Yes, there are、uh, some aspects of、uh, can begin to have this fist fight. You know, kind of like you shouldn't be doing this, and、uh, you must do that, and and there can be a lot of you know blaming, criticizing coming up as well. Uh, and begin to really notice all of this because this is something we will have to learn anyway, whether it's here or outside. I remember for myself、um, uh, at the beginning of、uh, my retreat practice, I'd have a very sharp division, or, or kind of like almost like a mode switch. Between the retreat and the rest of my life, you know, retreat is one kind of life. Then the rest is a different thing. And so I would come out of a retreat、uh, often feeling 
some form of refreshment, even if it's a very difficult retreat, because we always touch something inside of us. Um, But then, you know, as soon as I get out of the retreat, I have a lot to catch up, right? And so, and I get immediately switched into um, the business-as-usual kind of mode. And um, I would feel a sense of jerkiness. I'd like just uh, a kind of feeling in me. And it didn't feel right. And also didn't feel good. It just feels that something was off. But uh, for a while, I ignored this sense of jerkiness that was happening, a sense of offness that was happening. I just kind of pressed on as usual. And uh, um, but at some point, I began to pay attention to this phenomenon. I was like, "Oh, what is this? What is happening here for me?" And I noticed that. I had a certain kind of idea and a sense that it's the next retreat that's going to do it for me. <laughs> so I'm just going to be longing for the next retreat to be a month away. <laughs> and, um, or, um, or I could just kind of having this hidden belief that uh, retreat is where Things happen, practice happen, and the rest of the things don't count. And that took me some time uh, to really pay attention, to begin to see, oh, that was what was operating inside of me. And when we do that, uh, what happens is uh, we're letting kind of this old pattern, old self run the show. But yet, you know, each time as uh, we, whether it's in the retreat practice or in our daily life um, practice, when we touch something deeper inside of us, they already have an impact on us. They already have an effect on us. We're just not quite aware, are not quite noticing what is happening. And so when we begin to notice this, then we'll note that the usual way of um, operating no longer makes sense. It doesn't align. It kind of causes this jerkiness and disharmony between different parts of us. And so this is when we begin to invite deeper a looking inside of us and, and allow us to uh, bring certain signs, uh, kind of a harmony together within us. I, uh, I remember uh, shortly after I gave birth to my son, I went to see Gil for practice discussion. And, and this was a period of my, uh, my life where there was a lot of uh, spiritual uh, urgency in me, kind of like, you know, kind of fire burning on my hair kind of feeling. Um, but I had just given birth, 
have a newborn. And for those who have children, you know what it feels like when you have a newborn. <laughs> Your life feels like upside down <laughs> all together. I just so much going on. And so I uh, went to see uh, I went went to see Gil and and asked him and talked to him. At some point, I remember he looked at me and he said, "Oh, I think you're ready for a month-long retreat." <laughs> My heart just sank. <laughs> what? <laughs> What? Why didn't you tell me earlier? <laughs> um, yet, miraculously, and this was a moment of a powerful teaching for me. It's like an ultimatum. I knew that I wasn't going to wait for decades and decades. But I also knew that I can't go on a month-long retreat anytime soon, <laughs> maybe decades. And so I said, "Well, I have to practice where I am. There is no other way, and it has to happen right here." Um. So that was a powerful moment. Maybe a, a powerful moment uh, for shifting um, my own practice, and so my practice expanded. You know, initially I included rocking the baby, uh, cleaning the house, feeding the baby. It just gradually, little by little, it expanded. And I was so grateful uh, for for this ultimatum, and really uh, allowed me to um, practicing ways that I had never imagined, and my practice deepened and enriched in the ways that um, I never had imagined either. So over time. And this had given me a lot of confidence and opened me up to the boundlessness of the Dharma. And when later on, when the retreat practice became available, I embraced it wholeheartedly as well.、Um, but what I also noticed that、uh, the kind of a sharp divides are no longer there. And I realized that there is one Dharma life, and we can engage in different forms to practice. A form of taking care of the family, the form of sitting, the form of engaging、uh, in various ways that we engage in life. These are just different forms.、Uh, each offers. Many different kinds of gifts to us to practice, and there's no, no limit. And this was the teachings of the Dipama. I wanted to read you、um, 
something about、uh, this profound householder Dharma teacher and her way of、uh, teaching the Dharma and what she was pointing to.、Uh, Deepama's path wasn't attached to a particular place, teacher, lifestyle, or the monastic model. The world was her monastery. Mothering and teaching were her practice. She embraced the family and meditation as one. In a heart that steadfastly refused to make divisions in life, she taught me being a wife, being a mother. These were my first teachers. Recalls Sharon Crater, a mother who studied with Deepama. She taught me that whatever we do, whether one is a teacher, a wife, a mother, they are all noble. They are all equal. Deepama became not only the patron saint of householders, as one student called her, but also the embodiment of being the practice. Rather than doing the practice, for Deepama, that was simply the practice of being present, being fully awake, all the time, in every situation. She was a living demonstration that the real nature of a mind is presence. Joseph Goldstein said that. With Deepama, there was no sense of someone trying to be mindful. There was just mindfulness doing itself. Her mind didn't make distinctions," said meditation teacher Jacqueline Mandel. Meditation, mothering, and practicing all flowed into each other in an effortless way. They were all the same. They were one whole. There were no special places to practice, no special circumstances, no special anything. Everything was Dharma. She urged her students to make every moment count, and emphasized bringing mindfulness to cooking, ironing, talking. Or any other daily activity, she often said that the whole path of mindfulness is simply awareness of what whatever you're doing. Always know what you're doing, she would say. You cannot separate meditation from life. This is the teachings of the Deepama. We may feel that we're returning, but this returning is to here and now. This is the home. And I started out on the talk by sharing the story of、uh, Patachara and the Deepama. And now I wanted to、um, also 
end. I spoke about Deepama's teaching,、um, but now I want to、uh, end with a poem,、uh, awakening poem of a Pachacara. And this awakening poem、um, speaks about about her awake her awakening, and it started、um, with Patjara having a moment of frustration about her own practice. It was very human, humbling, but she didn't dwell just in that. Instead, she turned into the simplicity of a being, and it's in the simplicity of a being that dukkha ended. So here is the poem: Plowing fields with plows, sowing seeds in the ground, caring for children and wife. Young man gain wealth. Why is it that I, thorough in virtuous conduct, doing the Buddha's instruction, not lazy or proud, have not attained release? Having washed my feet, I watch the water, the foot washing water. Flow from high ground to low. With this, the mind concentrated, like a thoroughbred horse. Taking an oil lamp, I entered my hut. Looking over the bed, I sat down on the bed. Taking a needle, I pulled out the wick. As the flame went out, the mind was freed. When we're here, present, and awake, freedom is possible, right here. Thank you, everyone.